All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Over the past few weeks, we've been studying on this series of what it means uh, for us to be peacemakers. And as we're bringing this series to a close, one of the questions I have for you this morning is where are you in the process of being a peacemaker? As you look at the relationships in your family, your friends, your coworkers, your significant other, where are you? Are you at a place of perfect peace or are you still in process? As a church, we're, we're on this journey, you might say, uh, we're on the way. And we're trying to get to a place where we're building a culture of peace within our body that extends out of our body and into our community. And to do that over the past few weeks in small groups, we've talked about things like the four G's, uh, the biblical principles from scripture of giving our response to conflict, right? We glorify God. We get the log out of our own eyes. We gently restore our brother or sister in Christ and we go and be reconciled. We've looked at the seven A's of confession in our small groups, right? Address everyone involved, admit specifically what you've done, avoid if, but, and maybe when making confession, acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences, alter your behavior, and then ask for forgiveness. And many times we just want to rush to that last one, right? We, we just want to be like, hey, I'm sorry, and, and just move on. And we don't want to admit specifically what we've done to everyone that has been involved, that we've hurt. And we want to try to explain it away if we do. But God is calling us, I hope you see over these messages, he's calling us to something radically different than our culture would have us to do. And one of the really cool things about my job is I get to see God working in people's lives. And so many of you over these last few weeks, you've, you've come to me and you, you've had the joy and the benefit of, of seeing this peace work out in your life. And the power of confession and repentance, genuine confession and repentance, in your families and in your co-workers, right? And, and you've, you've come and you've told me these stories, and I've loved hearing these stories over the past, really, almost two months now. Um, people who had family members that they thought they would never have a relationship with now are able to talk with one another. Yeah, it's amazing to see the reconciliation. And yet through this process, God has been changing them and restoring them to a place of relationship. And again, maybe it's not perfect yet, but, but they're, they're moving in a direction where we want them to be. They're getting there. And one of the things that we're going to do um, over the next week or so is I, I want to give you a chance in small groups to, to share and to hear some of those stories. So I encourage you, those stories you've told me, tell your small group if you haven't already. Let, let them know about how God is using this series to help you to be a peacemaker in your life. So it's important for us to be a peacemaker. And as we journey on this process of becoming the church that God is surrounded and encompassed with this idea of peace and being peacemakers. And the truth is we're still growing individually, but we're also growing hopefully corporately together. And what I hope to do this morning is to look at our text is to get us to a place where we understand what Jesus has done for us as a community, not, not individually this morning. I've, I've done that in the past messages. But this morning, what God has done for us as a community, how he has made peace for the church, and he has gone before us that we might be able to walk the path that he has walked. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And the whole chapter is great. I encourage you to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to, for the sake of time, just kind of focus on these verses. So let me read them to you. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at the time separated 
from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together through the dwelling, through, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul's going throughout the book of Ephesians and one of the richest books when it comes to a picture of what the church is supposed to be. And he's going to begin to describe this community to us and how we are to understand what this community should look like that he calls the church. But he does something that I think some of us might think is a bit odd. But this is something we see Paul doing often because Paul understands the importance of remembering where you came from. Brian walked off stage this morning and I was like, Brian, I don't think you could have written a better prayer to go with this sermon. And he wrote that prayer months ago. It's amazing how God puts everything together sometimes. We, we need to remember where we come from. And so in the first couple of verses, in verses 11 and 12, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The first thing that Paul calls us to do in this text this morning is to remember that we were once lost. He's calling us to remember our past. Now, again, this is counterintuitive for most of us because most of us, we, we want to forget all of that stuff and we want to move forward. We, we want to talk about grace and reconciliation and redemption and covenants and creeds and theology and doctrine. We don't want to talk about our past. We don't want to remember our past. We, it's easier to focus on all those other things in our lives. And we're going we're gonna to get there as Paul gets there. But, but Paul says, listen, if, if you don't remember where you come from, the danger is you become prideful and self-sufficient and think in some way that you are responsible for your salvation. And so what we need to do, what we constantly need to do is be reminding ourselves to remember the time that we were lost. Some of you are struggling this morning and you don't have joy about your salvation and you struggle to have this relationship with God that's rich and fresh and new, you, you study to read God's word and, and just see it for something fresh and new in your life, may I suggest this morning that the reason is that you have forgotten that you were once lost. You have forgotten that you, what you have been saved from. And because of that, you've become complacent. Thinking as though in some way you have earned favor with God. And, and Paul calls us this morning to say, listen, remember where you were. Now in the context of this chapter, the church is coming together and there are all these Jews who begin to see what Jesus is, that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he truly was who he said he was. And they begin to believe in him as Savior. But even more so, Gentiles begin to see that he is the Messiah. 
and that he was more than just a savior of the Jews, but he also was a savior of the Gentiles. And in larger numbers, Gentiles were coming to Jesus, right? At what point we might say, praise God. But most of the New Testament writing about the early church is dealing with this issue of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. The Jewish Christians weren't saying, praise God. They, they were trying to learn how to coexist, how to make peace, and how to get along. And it wasn't a smooth, fluid thing. Because you, you've got these Gentiles, and they're looking at these Jewish people, and they're thinking, these are godless people. They don't even worship idols. They don't do anything that we do. I mean, we're very religious people. We have temples. We have all these things. And then you've got these Jewish people, and they don't have any of that. They're different. They don't make idols, right? And the Jewish people, they're no exception. They're, they're looking at these Gentiles going, man, these are godless pagans. <laughs> and they're involved in all kinds of sexual immorality, and they're worshiping idols. And, you know, in, in many cases, you know, for good reason, they were saw them as ungodly, but they, they didn't want them to be a part of this new movement. They wanted to separate themselves from them. And this is something that had been going on for generations, culturally, up until this point. And now all of a sudden, we've got this Messiah that shows up and he says, hey, I'm not only the Messiah for you Jewish people, I'm also the Messiah for the whole world. I'm the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that through you, all the nations will be blessed. But instead of peace and harmony and joy and praising God, what happens? You get this struggle with, with pride and mistrust and prejudice that pops up. We, we see it here, and it's something that is easy for us to sometimes skip over. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So these Jewish believers, i.e. the circumcision, they're talking about these Jewish believers, uh, the, the, these Gentile believers, that they're the uncircumcision. And you kind of imagine what, what they must have been thinking, right? These, these Jewish believers are looking at Gentile believers, and they're going, okay, well, I mean, I get that you say you believe in Jesus. But I mean, you don't keep the law. <laughs> I mean, we keep the law. You don't keep the law. You're not circumcised. We're circumcised. In many ways, you're still acting like pagans. And you may believe in the same Jesus that we believe in, but I mean, I have to wonder, do you really measure up? Like, like look at all we've done to earn this. I mean, I really want to believe in the Messiah to, to be the best Christians, then, then you need to really, what you, what you need to do is you need to become like us. You need to act like us. You need to work a little harder. You need to be circumcised. And make sure you keep the Sabbath and, and keep a kosher table. I'm so glad this is all in the past. And we don't have to worry about people trying to impose Old Testament law into Christianity, Right? Aren't you glad we've moved past that now? We don't deal with that anymore? Yeah, I'm not so sure either. <laughs> I mean, after all, right, these people are saying, if you want to please Jesus, you need to do all these things. This is something, guys, that still continues to this day. For those who forget that they were once lost and separated from God, you begin to bring back in performance. You begin to bring back in all of these things that I have done rather than seeing it through faith alone, right? If you have your Bibles, if you go back just a couple verses, and I think we might have this for you on the screen too. Look, at, look in chapter 2 at verses 8 through 10. Paul says something beautiful and amazing. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. 
So when we read verse 11, when he says, remember, right, Paul is saying, listen, understanding salvation, understanding grace, understanding that it's not something that you do, therefore remember who you once were. That the problems and the strife you're having is because you have forgotten who you once were. You were once alienated and separated from God, having no hope of a relationship with him. And because of that, Jesus Christ, of, of what Jesus Christ has done, these people who were once separated, these people that, that he goes so far as to say have no hope, are now able to be reconciled. To have not only hope, but to have a relationship with the living God. Do you remember that time in your life? Do you remember your former state apart from Christ? This is easier, I think, sometimes for those who come to faith later in life and who lived a large portion of their life apart from God. But this morning, do you remember that time when you were caught up in your sin without any hope? Whatever the sin may have looked like, it may have been wild and crazy debauchery. It could have just been pride and self-sufficiency because you grew up in church and you kind of knew how to act and you knew how to do all the right things and fake it till you make it kind of thing. But either way, you were still a sinner in need of saving. Do you remember that time? Paul is calling us to go back and to remember that, not, not so that we can dwell in it and beat ourselves up, but so that we can understand and see how amazing the grace is that has been extended to you. Some of us, we, we need to thank God for the life of sin that we were rescued from. Some of us had godly parents who preached the gospel to us and taught us the gospel. And because of that, we came to Jesus very early in our life. And we need to be thankful for that. Thankful for all the sin that we were saved from. Because all that sin would have come with heartache and pain and suffering. And yet, because of his grace, you were able to avoid that. If we're going to be people of peace, we're, we're going to be people who are putting others first. People who are going to be reconciled. We can't forget where we come from. We can't forget who we are apart from the saving work of Jesus. As verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but a gift of God. So as a church, one of the things that, that we have to be constantly reminded of, lest we become prideful and arrogant, is that we were once lost. We were once alienated without hope. And without the possibility of a relationship with God in this life. So first and foremost, this church in Ephesus and, and our church is made up of a community of people who were once lost. But fortunately, that's not how Paul ends this. That's just where Paul begins the discussion. That's where we have to start, remembering that we were once lost. We were once separated and needing, needing to be reconciled with God. In verses 13 through 18, he goes on and he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that we might create in himself, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. As we look at this section, we see this amazing contrast from the previous verses of Hopeless language, completely lost, completely separated, without any hope. And now Jesus comes. Grace enters the picture. And how does that enter the picture? How are we brought near? He says, by the blood of Christ. It's by his sacrifice 
Why? We, we, we needed a sacrifice. Because in our sinful nature, we have constantly been sinning since the moment that we were born. And the wages of sin are death. We, we've been rejecting our Heavenly Father willingly and knowingly choosing to separate ourselves from Him. By, by doing what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. But God in His great mercy sent His Son. And by the death of the sinless Son on our behalf. The righteousness of God has been transferred to us. Jesus willingly took on the full brunt of punishment that I deserved, that you deserved, that we deserve. He took all the consequences of all of the sin that we've ever committed and ever will commit upon his body. And because of the blood of Christ, we're now able to draw near to God, our hope, right? We are hopeless a few verses ago without any hope. But then God purchased us through the blood of Christ. He purchased our peace. I want you to notice there what's happening. I'm calling you guys, I'm asking you guys, I'm pleading with you guys to be people of peace. Notice that your Savior went first. Jesus has gone first. I, I, I hope through all the discussions and the sermons and the small groups that, that when you think about people in your life that you need to go to and make peace with, I want you to see that Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he didn't do first. That he left heaven and came to earth on our behalf. We didn't ask him to, but he did it. He went first and he brought peace to us, right? Peace with God. And as Christians, that's, that's what we are being encouraged to do in the relationships in our lives. The death of Jesus on the cross, not only being the Messiah of Israel, but he brought the Gentiles near. And he's brought near every one of you this morning that has trusted Christ. You no longer are separated from him. You are now a citizen of Israel. You're, you're a recipient of the promise of the covenant. God's covenant with his people now applies to you. You are one of God's chosen. And Paul now expands that idea of the Gentiles who were formerly lost and have been brought near to the blood of Jesus. Look, look at verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace that we and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to our Father. And this is something, some, some, some dense theology here, some of the densest really in all of Ephesians. And, and Paul's making this point by making a reference to the temple in Jerusalem. And it's important that we understand what Paul is saying here. But to do that, we have to understand how the temple was laid out. And, and the Jerusalem temple had a, a, a wall dividing the court of the Gentiles and the holy place and with a sign threatening death to any Gentile who crossed that boundary. And this is one of the things that Paul was accused of because even though the, the Romans controlled the death penalty, this is one of the areas where they allowed the Jewish people to kill people. That if they transgressed this, if, if they went into this area, that sign that literally said, understand, you're taking your life into your own hands. That, that if you're not a Jewish person ritually clean and you're entering into this area, death was the sentence. The temple of God in Jerusalem was the very place on earth promising access to the one true God. 
and became marred by this human dividing wall that symbolizes both a wall dividing human beings from one another, like a, a cosmic wall separating God from humanity. But, but for humans, it was a vertical dividing wall that showed the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. That God's house, as Isaiah and Jesus said, is to be a house of prayer for all peoples, was not open to outsiders. The gracious promises of God to bless all people through Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through, had been perverted. The, the temple in Jerusalem had become this symbol of division that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. But now Paul says in verse 14, Jesus has become our peace. He has broken down in himself the very wall that divided Jew and Gentile by abolishing the law that the Jews had used to serve as a divider between themselves and the Gentiles. Jesus, you see, God's law in the Old Testament was his gracious gift to Israel and to the world. But sadly, many Jews had sinfully used the law as a way to maintain their pride and their self-sufficiency. See, what they said was that we Jews, we keep God's law. We earn God's favor by keeping the law. And they used the law as a stick to beat up Gentiles and actually keep Gentiles away from God. But Jesus is now saying through Paul, Paul, like Jesus abolishes the law so that he might create in himself one new man, a new race of people, if you will. In place of Jew and Gentile, thereby Jesus destroys all of this hostility. And by destroying that hostility on the cross and creating this new man, this new one body, the body of Christ. And not only does he reconcile the, these, these hostile people groups to one another, but he reconciles us to God. From whom we were estranged because of our sin. But now we have hope. He, he came and he preached to those who were far away and he brought peace to those who were near. Christians in conflict, the blood of Christ brings peace with God and with other believers. Notice finally in this section how Paul grounds all this reconciliation among different believers in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. Paul uses that word here for um, a good reason. In, in, a, in other words, because verse 18, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Our, our church is a community made up, first and foremost, of lost people. But lost people who are now redeemed and reconciled. Reconciled to one another because we're reconciled first to God. And the grounds of that reconciliation with each other is the spirit of Jesus at work in our lives. And guys, listen, this is really good news this morning. This is, this is, this is why this is so good. Some of you right now, you're estranged from family members who are Christians. You have relationships with other people in your family or friends that are, that are Christians, but yet for various reasons, whatever they may be, you're no longer in a healthy relationship with them. But because you have one spirit, this gives us hope that we can be reconciled with them. Because the same spirit that is in you is in them. And when we're praying and we're asking God, God, I want this to be reconciled. God, God, change me, whatever I need to do to see my sin, help me take the log out of my own eye. Before I go and address them, the same spirit that's working in you is also working in them. And as believers, we can be praying, Lord, do the same thing and then get them to the place of reconciliation. I can't do it. If, if I would, I would. I would just run right out there and do whatever it is, but I can't do it. But because they're your child, no matter our differences, 
we do share a commonality of one spirit. Do you see why that's good news this morning? As Christians, that should give us so much hope for reconciliation with other believers. Because no matter what has brought us apart, we have as Christians one thing in common that can bring us back together. This is one of the great things about being a Christian and having children who are Christians. That though they may be apart from us, right, all the way in Alaska, Jamie, knowing that it's God's Spirit that holds us together. And while they may be on the other side of the country, as you pray at night, you can pray knowing that the same Spirit that is in you is in them. And that brings us so much hope and peace. Now, understanding that this, this reconciliation has been done by God and through His Spirit, I, I also practically want to remind you that it doesn't mean reconciliation will be easy. We still have two sinful people trying to reconcile who still have their own agendas and have not completely surrendered to the Spirit's work in their life. And it's hard work, and it can take time and patience. Some of you have been hurt so badly for so long that even though there's a, a part of your brain that's saying, man, I hear everything you're saying, Dale, and all these messages, and I want to forgive them, I just don't know that I can. Because this has gone on for so long. But man, I hope God's spirit this morning is working in you to bring you to a place of reconciliation with them. If we ground that reconciliation in Christ and what Christ has done for us through his death, in the perfect life and death, he, he has made it possible for real and genuine reconciliation between brothers and sisters in Christ. The scripture also tells us that Jesus, the, the just, at, at, just, as Je just as Christ has brought reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles, he can bring that reconciliation between different Christians today. Jesus has done it all. He's the reconciler. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He's broken down the walls of hostility between the races. And if there's still hostility there today between Christians of different cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds it's, it's not because Jesus hasn't done his job. He's broken down the dividing wall. The Apostle Paul says to us here today that the Holy Spirit is alive and at work in the lives of all believers. He is our peace. He is our peace with our children, with our spouse, with our parents, with our siblings, with our co-workers. He's brought reconciliation and he's bigger than all the issues that we may have. So the second thing we see that he's calling our church to be, first is that we are a group of lost people who are redeemed. And we should never forget that. But second, we should see that he's calling our church to be a community of redeemed and a community of reconciled people. How do we do that? I mean, it's fine for me to say it, but, but how do we do that? And once... Uh, the Lord has already provided you, excuse me, since the Lord has already provided you through the word and the power of his spirit with the tools necessary to be a peacemaker. And this morning for a lot of you, God has been putting people on your heart over the past few weeks. People that you need to make peace with. And the reality is now, you just need to go and do it. You say, but I don't know. I don't know if I can. Let me encourage you this morning to trust Christ. Take that step toward peace. Walk by faith, not by sight. You may look at the situation and say, there is no hope. And in your own power, there, there may not be. <laughs> but as a Christian, we're not walking in with our own power. We're walking in with the very power of God. And through him, all things are possible. And this is an accurate way to apply that scripture. <laughs> and you may find yourself in a situation like I found my, fell myself in many times where I don't know what to say. I know that may shock some of you. And yet, all of a sudden, I had these words. 
And I don't know where they come from, but they were the right words at the right time. And sometimes it was, I'm sorry, even though it was not something that I did. But God just said, you know what? Be humble. Don't, don't go into this situation thinking you're right. Assume you're wrong and see what happens. And through his spirit, he does amazing things. And this is what we need to do is we just need to go and do it. The fourth G, go and be reconciled. Take that step. Trust, pray, ask him to lead you and to guide you and to give you the words. But go. Go. Now one word of practical caution here. If, if you are that person who likes to fix other people, back up a few G's and get the log out of your own eye before you go try to fix people because there's a, a big difference between fixing people and being reconciled with people. To be reconciled with people, you need to be humble. To fix people, you are by definition prideful because you think you know better. Not only are we a community of the lost or formerly lost, but we're a community of the redeemed and we're a community reconciled to one another. But now Paul is going to give us the most powerful image of our church in these last few verses. And this has a, a, a vision of our church as a dwelling place for God. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says in verse 19, so then our we're consequently, because we of all of these things that I've said to you, right? This is what is happening. Because you are a community of the Lord who, who are redeemed and reconciled, you are now becoming a dwelling place for God. Because the wall of hostility has been broken down. The things that used to divide us no longer divide us from the very presence of God. He, he's destroyed and removed all of those things. There's no longer division between you and God and you and other people. Jesus bought and paid for that peace to happen in both of those cases. So Paul's conclusion is that these Gentiles now have a, no, a totally new status in Christ. They're no longer like strangers and aliens in the Old Testament. And those non-Jews who attach themselves to the people of Israel but who always had this certain second-class status. No, they are now fellow citizens with God's people. Note the reversal from verses 11 and 12. Formerly they were excluded, but now they are a part of God's chosen people. They are members of God's household. And in verse 20, Paul starts to kind of mold this, these two metaphors into one, and he says to his readers that we are like stones in a building that has a foundation of Christ's apostles and the prophets. And that has a cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself. That, that you people are, are being built into this, into this building. But he's saying, don't worry, because it's solid, because you've got the best foundation in the world. You can be confident in this new building because the foundation of the church is built on a solid foundation of Christ himself. That he is the foundation. We know that we are weak at best, crumbly stones. But the cornerstone, the foundation stone, the thing the whole building stands on is Christ Jesus. And verse 21 spells out that this building, it's growing. Do you know any buildings that grow? It's like a living building. It's growing to become a holy temple for the Lord. When the old temple had dividing walls, a sign of hostility, but the new temple is this newly formed people of God themselves. There's a temple of God that's, that's where God chooses to dwell. 
That's where he can be found. Verse 22, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. These Gentiles had been so lost. They had been without God and without hope in the world. Strangers and aliens cut off from everything, especially the people of God. And now God says, everything has changed. I'm building you into a new dwelling place for me by my spirit. The Lord is making his church, our church, into a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. The core question that all of us, all of this is, who is your cornerstone this morning? What are you trusting in for your salvation? Who are you built upon? God's answer is, I've provided you a cornerstone, your foundation, Jesus Christ himself and his atoning death for you. So many of us want to try to build our own cornerstones. We, we want to try to pave our own way to God with our own good works. And God says, that's not how this works. That's not, not how any of this works. It's Jesus. He is the cornerstone, and then you build upon him. And really, Paul says, if you get down to it, God builds upon him. And what is God building us to be? Verse 22, our church is being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I mean, that, that's some pretty heady stuff. I mean, this, this isn't just about a building where we come and sing songs, right? This is when I say church, that, that's what a lot of you think of. You, you think of this place where you come and you spend an hour or two. It, it's a place where you go. It's a place where you sing some songs. Maybe you listen to some sermons. Or maybe you're not and you're just playing words with friends. But it's a place where you come and, and you know and we don't understand that church is, church is a, a place in which God's Spirit dwells in us. Not in the sense of individually, because that's, again, where we like to take it as Americans, and we love our individualism. That, that I am a temple of God. But that's not what's written there. To use some good southern vernacular, it says, y'all are the temple of God. You all are the temple of God. That, that he's building us together, that we become this place that God's spirit dwells here on earth. And sometimes life seems a lot more mundane and simpler than that. And coming to church doesn't necessarily carry the weight of being the dwelling place of God. And yet that's what Paul says, that the church is, as a people, reconciled to God, then to one another, you are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God himself lives now. That's a vision. That's a, a church and a body that I want to strive to be. That, that's something really that is so much bigger than we can do. We, we have to rely on him. We can't sit back and rely on our planning and our formulas and our programs and our song selection and think we can accomplish this because this is so much bigger than us. I can't do this. You can't do this. This is something that God himself has to do. To make us into a dwelling place, being built together, that God himself is building you into by his spirit. Ultimately, it's not about us. So a lot of times we start to think church is about us. I hear this all the time in comments that people make because they come to church and they say, well, you know, I didn't really like the music, or I didn't like this song, I didn't like this. And what we're subtly doing is we're saying, church is about me. It's about my preferences. I didn't get fed today. It wasn't what I wanted today. It's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about him. And it's about what he is doing. And what he's doing is he's building a dwelling place for God. 
by his spirit. You are a dwelling place for God built on a firm foundation of Christ. Our church is a community of the lost, but it's a community of the lost that has been redeemed and reconciled. And it's a community built on Christ to be the dwelling place for God. Now that sounds like a tall order to me. And definitely that's one bigger than we could possibly accomplish on our own. On our own. So what is our role? What is our role in all this? Here's the answer, guys. We are to be people of peace. We are going to be people that are reconciled with God first. That means confessing and repenting of our sins daily, constantly. We're to live in a place of perpetual reconciliation with him. But not only with God, with each other. Because rarely do our sins affect, only affect us. They do occasionally. But normally, our sin is affecting others as well. This is a lot of fun, right? It's going to take a lot of work. And I don't know about you, but I know I'm still not quite where I need to be, but I hope and I pray that we are getting stronger in this so that we are not only reconciled with God, but we're reconciled with our spouse. We're reconciled with our fellow church members. Some of you are still battling pride and self-sufficiency, selfishness. And you're pretty good about going into your prayer closing and admitting these things to God. But the, do you admit them to your wife? Do you admit them to your husband? Do you confess them to your small group? If we're going to be the people that are being reconciled to God, we're going to have to be a people that are being reconciled to each other. And the reality is our sin rarely just affects us. Our sin normally affects others. Often the people that we love and care about the most. I hear this all the time in marriage counseling. A spouse will come in and say, everybody in the world would think my husband is the nicest person in the world, but when he gets home, he treats me like dirt. Right? We often hurt those that we love the most. Sometimes it's co-workers that we could care less about. We still need to go and confess and be reconciled to them. To be living a life of peace with those around us. Ultimately, we need to remember what he says at the end of this chapter. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. In the church and in the church Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Most of the time, I don't, I don't even want to be reconciled with God, if I'm being honest. But I definitely don't want to go and, be, and humble myself and confess to others and repent. And that's why I'm so thankful of what Paul says there. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I don't really want to think about some of this stuff. Some of you are like, can this series get over? I'm tired of the Holy Spirit bringing these people to my mind. Can't we just get on to 1 Thessalonians? If we're being honest, right? But, but God's Spirit is pushing us, encouraging us, empowering us. We have to rely on him. Because I know this is a tall order. Being people of peace is hard. It means a lot of times you're going to have to be humble. Even if you're right, you don't act like it. And that fights against everything our flesh says. But it's not about us. It's about him. It's about God. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about the price that he has paid. It's about his spirit that is empowering us. You see, you no longer represent you now. You represent him. That's why you have to be careful of all the careless words 
that you use. That's why you have to be careful of all the opinions that you hold on to as more important than other people. Because you represent Him. And through His Spirit and through His power, He who can do abundantly more than we ever think or imagine can empower us to be people of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for going first. Thank you for setting the example for us by sending your son to make peace on the cross for people who hated you. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us, that your Holy Spirit would remind us this morning, every single person who is a believer this morning, that that you would remind them of that time before they come to know you, before they were reconciled. And Lord, help them to remember that day by day, lest they forget again and become prideful and arrogant. And Lord, for those that are here this morning that have never known this reconciliation that I'm talking about, God, I pray this morning would be the morning that your spirit would draw them to yourself. They would confess their sin and they confess their need of a Savior, Lord, and you would redeem them. And then, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to be people of peace. Give us the courage to go and be reconciled. To humble ourselves, Lord, for the sake of the gospel. So that that people might look at this group of people and say, well, I don't know much about them, but I know they are people of peace. And Lord, that we might bear witness to the peace that you have brought to our world, through our actions. Empower us, Lord. Give us the words when we do go. Give us the strength and the courage. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.